0: everybody, welcome to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin in New London, Connecticut, and my co-host in Atlanta, Georgia, Mark Dunn. Good evening, Mark.
1: Hey, Carl. What's happening? Man, lots of good stuff is happening. I just wrapped up uh, an ASP.NET class today.
0: Is this the same class you were telling me about that uh, it was only on the second half of the, th- the last day that you cracked open Visual Studio?
1: Yes, that's actually the way the class was written, but I I teach it quite a bit differently than that. I I kind of use the book to prop the door open and uh you know, we we start out using Visual Studio .net the first day.
0: I tell that story how you almost uh were threatened with physical violence the first time you taught it.
1: And that that's the truth. Uh, the first time I taught that, it was all using notepad and uh, it was not a happy bunch.
0: Got some good evals you told me.
1: Yeah, I got a perfect set of evals out of this group, so uh, I was very thrilled with that.
0: That's good. Well, the content writers ought to sit up and take note of that.
1: Yeah, I I just heard recently they're euthanizing that course, so... uh, Congratulations.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good for everybody. Um, So, hey, guess what? .NET Rocks is listed at msdn.microsoft.com slash vbasic, the Visual Basic homepage for Microsoft. We're listed on the right under events. We have a link right there, third from the top, net rocks. How cool is that?
1: That's cool. I feel like running out in the road, uh, you know, like Steve Martin saying, <laughs> I'm in the phone book. <laughs> we
0: have arrived.
1: That's right. We are somebody.
0: Well, um, this last show we did has only been on the air for uh, two days since this recording, and, uh, we had. Three hundred downloads the first day and three hundred downloads today, so this is uh this is getting ridiculous here we're We're buying some more bandwidth to to uh make sure that everybody gets to listen to
1: it. yeah, we can never have enough bandwidth.
0: We got some serious bandwidth here in New London. I happen to be right across the hall from Innerbridge, and they have an o c three to the central office now in Connecticut, you pay. With OC3, you pay by the mile from the central office. If you open up my window and spit, you'll hit the central office. So, and that is sitting right on the sprint backbone. Uh, we have about, oh, I don't know. Well, this is boring anyway. <laughs> let's, let's get on with the show. Yeah.
1: Aren't we going to talk to, uh, this guy named Bill Vaughn tonight?
0: We are. But before we introduce Bill, um, I wanted to, you to tell me about, uh, this new discovery that you made in class this week about ASPNet.
1: Uh, which which discovery is that? Is that changing the file extensions? Yeah, yeah. yeah we were playing around with some standard uh, ASP dot uh, or really classic ASP pages. So uh, all we did was we uh, went in and changed the extension from ASP to ASPX, pulled it uh, right into the framework. It ran with the exception really? of a few things. Uh, any like objects what? that we were uh, we were trying to uh, uh, instantiate or, objects, uh, yeah. or read. If they have default properties, you've got to go in and tweak that code. Right. Uh, but I was just amazed. I, so I should you're... have tried that earlier. I had no idea.
0: So you mean the angle bracket percent code works?
1: Yes, the angle bracket percent code works just fine.
0: So if you have like a angle bracket percent equals and then a variable, you can, you can stick that in the HTML?
1: Sure, that works just fine. Huh. Uh, you know, the problem you run into is something, uh, you know, like angle bracket equals rs field name. Right. Right, so that that's counting on the default value property for the record set. Yeah. It'll choke on that.
0: Huh. Wow, that's great. Now, uh, you also were telling me something about um, control arrays.
1: Right, the single biggest question I get from VB developers and .NET classes is, you know, how the heck do I do a control array? So I've, uh, I've used the same method you did before in teaching them. So uh, today, you know, a guy was going, well, you know, that, that's good and all, but, you know, what I'd really like to do is be able to uh, to write a little loop and run through and, and check things on these controls uh, that are grouped together. Right. So we, we just started looking around. We stuck uh, some option buttons into a group box. And if you look at the, uh, the properties of a group box, you'll see a property called Controls. And that's actually a a controls collection of all the controls contained within the group box itself. Uh, so that makes it very easy for you to iterate through uh, really anything you put in a container as a group box.
0: So in other words, the controls collection on the form only has references to those controls that are directly on that form. If you have a group box or a panel or something on the form, then that will have a controls collection where the controls on it will be referenced. Right,
1: that's right. It's kind of like a a sub uh, sub controls collection, yeah, that's cool.
0: That's very cool uh well, so, yeah,
1: not a day goes by that i I don't seem to discover something new and interesting about dot net
0: yeah, me too, me too. It's just an endless journey, and uh like uh a lot of people think it's intimidating because they have to learn a lot of new stuff, but once you get over that initial hump, you know uh it's smooth sailing. I think well,
1: that's right. It becomes fun after a while. It's intimidating in the beginning, but you know, you settle into it. It's a, a great trip.
0: Well, uh, speaking of trips, let's take a trip across the country to uh, where the hell are you from, Bill?
2: Um, actually, I'm, I'm not from anywhere at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm currently living in Redmond, Washington.
0: You're not from anywhere at all. So did you crawl out of Atlantis from some something ooze or something like
2: that? I was an army brat and was born in D.C., and didn't live there long enough to, to dry off, and went to kindergarten in uh, Wiesbaden, Germany, and grade school in El Paso, Texas.
0: What? Wow.
2: And in high, kindergarten high school in, Chern- in Alexandria, Virginia, and and then finished high school four years in uh, Bangkok,
1: Thailand. No kidding.
2: No kidding. Well,
1: wow, you've had an interesting life, Bill. It seems like I read in your bio that you were a, a chopper pilot.
2: Did that too. Uh, spent a couple of years in college, and then uh, volunteered to go to Vietnam just before they drafted me.
0: Thank you, by the way. You don't, <laughs> yes, probably don't indeed. hear that enough.
2: Well, I appreciate that. So when we came back from Vietnam, we were we were told not to wear our uniforms. Yes. Um, but uh, been uh, been there and done that. lived a number of years in Texas, uh, so I kind of claim Texas is kind of a home state. But I've lived here now longer than I did in Texas, so about 15 years here in the Redmond area, which is, uh, this is a dynamite place to live. This is very, very cool up here,
0: so to speak. That reminds me of something we were talking about before we started recording, which was a sort of a letter you got, and uh, I didn't really understand until you said that you had spent some time in Texas and lived in Texas. So what was that uh, email that you got about Well, I had a
2: customer at the last Fawcett show that was uh, upset with me because uh, this person thought that I had made fun of, the, the great state of Texas, and I said, well, we've got an extremely large result set here, and this result set is, say, the you've done a select star from all the Social Security recipients in the state of Texas, and this person took umbrage to that as if that was bad, and I was just trying to <laughs> refer to the fact that there's a lot of rows.
0: right? And, <clears throat> a lot of people tough. in Texas, after all.
2: There's a lot of people in Texas, and um, it was just typical of the kind of query that I keep uh, getting, you know, the guy calls up and says, you know... The performance in this application really sucks, and I says, "Well, what are you doing?" He says, "Well, I'm pulling back two hundred thousand rows, and it's just kind of slow." Yeah,
0: so you yeah. really need to use all two hundred thousand of those at the same time. Yeah, I said, answer. "Well, you
2: generally, uh how is your customer dealing with that? Do they have a a really small font that they can show them all at once?" I'm not sure how that works out.
1: <laughs> Big long list box.
2: Yeah, Arial
1: thing. point seven.
2: Yeah, that's it. Well, I'm not sure Arial point seven would would. They do probably
0: that. wouldn't. You're right. No.
2: One pixel per. I'm not sure that'd be too many pixels for the if you just one pixel per customer.
0: So you're used to controversy, then?
2: Oh yes, I. If I'm not, if there's not enough controversy, I just make some.
0: Well, okay, that, that's a good point because you you didn't come on here that, uh, this show to talk about Texas. You came no. to talk about uh, jet. Or,
2: yes, Jim so, I'm so
0: So let's stir up some controversy here.
2: Well, one of the things I did. When I was at Microsoft, I was in, all the time in trouble with the MDAC team. The people that make JET the, uh, the JET engine team. And I was on their case from the day they, they shipped the product until the, until it went into the QFE mode, which is the, into retirement here not long ago. And I'm just not real thrilled with JET. It, the, the problem with JET is that it is, it's too easy to use and too easy to abuse.
0: First of all, let me define a couple acronyms. QFE stands for Quick Fix Engineering. Yeah, there you go. And what does JET stand for?
2: That's the joint engine technology.
0: And that is what?
2: That is the database engine that's used by Access. It's used by uh, everything in Visual Basic from V B three on. That's the 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 JET database engine is, is that that's how you create an MDB. That's how you access an M D B. Access used to have the, uh, used to use only JET, but nowadays Access also lets you uh, create and use SQL Server databases through MSDE, the Microsoft Data
0: Engine. Okay.
2: If, when you talk about JET, you're talking about access databases.
0: Alright, so the way that you get to access databases to MDB files in VB is through JET?
2: Basically, yes. And that's the little desktop engine that gets installed, little Willis, not yeah, that little, right. gets installed on every single client system. So it's not a client-server system by any stretch of the imagination. So,
0: so, if you had to pick the number one problem with Jet, what is it?
2: Well, the number one problem with Jet is that it is really prone to damage caused by the end user and the way they actually use computers nowadays. Uh, what happens is when you open a Jet database and you start something off, you start doing some updates, and if the user doesn't think things are going fast enough, they have a tendency to to give the the com- the computer a three finger salute they reboot the computer right or right. They, they walk away from it or they simply turn it off and they turn it back on again like a like it's some sort of a TV and they slap it on the side a couple of times and
0: okay that so that's a nice it. way of saying it's pretty slow
2: it's it's slow too so the kinds of things that that, that uh, developers often do make it slow and if they don't keep okay. it snappy the users get frustrated the users turn it off and you end up with a corrupt database and what are some
0: of the bad things that users do with jet
2: well, it's the the users are sometimes given the option to write their own queries. Show right. me all the the Social Security recipients in the state of Texas, or um, all the Barbie dolls in the entire that exist on the face of the earth.
0: Right. So I don't want and, to get any email from Mattel. Just right. Well,
2: right. there's a lot of Barbie dolls. <laughs> it's another big data set, and it's uh, there's a lot of things, and they try to do too much with it. Right. And it's the application. It's not the users that are making these mistakes. Okay. It's the application developers that right. are making these mistakes.
0: Because they're allowing the user to do crazy exactly. things.
1: Yeah, I've seen uh, seen a lot of applications with select star from table. And, uh, you know, that's the way they create the result set and then deal with it on uh, the application side. Well, you get me started with that. Even the
0: demos for <laughs> Visual .net that... Uh, Demos that mostly you see with the data adapter have to do with selecting everything from a table.
2: Absolutely true. And it's it's the, it's the every Lickens example you see is a select star from customers. And we can go on and on about the the sanity of select star just by itself, pulling back columns that you have no idea what you're pulling back, whether it could be a blob column, it could be you know binary, it could be floating point stuff you're not prepared for. So you think
0: this is because of laziness or habit or both or what?
2: I think... The, 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 there's all kinds of VB developers. There's VB developers that are, that are bright and understand the issues and understand data access and don't make those mistakes because they say, oh, yes, I understand. It, but on the other end of the spectrum, we have the mom and pa Kellys out there that are don't have any computer science training, don't have any data access awareness, don't have, you know, they're just barely working with VB and are using, they're basically pasting in examples they get out of the book and hoping things work and assume those are correct. Yeah. And we have, the, so if you have a bell-shaped curve of, of distribution of these developers, we have an awful lot of them that are doing s- dumb stuff.
0: Now, uh, Bill, we have on the line Ma, Kelly, and Pa Kelly, who oh, have an issue do? with that last comment, and they'd like to talk to you about
2: it. Okay, absolutely, <laughs> bring them on.
0: <laughs> no, I know what you mean, and especially, it it's going to be difficult for these kinds of developers you know, that haven't done the real hardcore stuff that came from Either access or from VBA or something like that, right. and don't have a found a foundation in computer science or even in you know the the fundamental ideas of computer science, and uh, it's going to be more difficult for them to stay afloat in .NET anyway. I think.
2: I think it is too. It's going to be tough for them. Uh, the and where Microsoft needs to kick in and where the uh, application vendors need to kick in is to when they create these kinds of databases. If instead of using Jet, if they used MSDE, for example, right the kinds of things that they could do to themselves would be far more limited. Uh, limited. Uh, th- the chances of them corrupting their database would be virtually nil.
0: Why don't we just ship SQL Personal Edition with uh, every virtual visual studio?
2: Um, I think you'd have to talk to the Justice Department about that.
0: Ah, well, okay. Good point taken. <laughs>
2: another, another issue. Um, but I think it makes sense to have MSDE as the only database engine in Access.
0: All right, acronym police here. What's uh, MSDE stand for? That's
2: the Microsoft Data Engine. That's just simply another version of SQL Server that's that's free, that's designed to uh, limit you based on the size of the database. It's about about the same limit as JET as far as the database size. And it's governed to uh, slow the database down after five simultaneous operations are being executed. In other words, if you have 50 people and of those 50 people, five of them pressed enter all at the same time. Yeah. They would get their job done. But if a sixth person hit the enter key at the same time, then the database would slow down by some factor.
0: So that's why they call it a desktop engine?
2: That's why they call it a desktop engine, and, and that's why it's free.
0: Okay. And is this like a replacement for Jet?
2: Microsoft has is, is positioned this as a replacement for Jet. That I think that's what they're trying to do. And okay. And if you start looking at the features and functionality that Jet supported... Yeah you notice that there's now a pretty close mapping one-for-one with those features in SQL Server, things that JET had that SQL Server didn't have as far as some of the kind of uh, user-defined functions and those kinds of things.
1: Right. You know, Bill, I don't work um, a lot with JET, but I I tell you some problems that's caused me in the past. I didn't understand in the beginning when I I first got into database programming uh, really the idea of a server database and the fact that the database engine was actually running on the server rather than the client. And, uh, you know, that, that was a problem with JET. If I uh, tried to access an MDB file over the network uh, and I ran a query like select first name, last name from table where user ID is, is equal to 10, uh, it was actually pulling the entire table over the network to the client so JET could resolve that query there.
2: It was worse than that. It did all the, phys- all the physical I.O. was done over the net. Every bit of the physical I.O., including the accessing the locking file, everything was being done over the wire. Um, and it is extremely inefficient.
1: Right. I found that out a, a hard way. Uh, I had a consulting client a long time ago that wanted a JET solution. Uh, so I put one together for them, and at the time, the database was very small. They maybe had three people using it. So about a year later, they called me up and said, you know, this thing is killing our network. So I get back down there, and, uh, you know, the database has grown to be huge uh, by JET standards, and, you know, they had about 20, 25 people hitting this thing all the time.
2: Well, this is the other issue that I'm seeing in the industry, and we keep hearing the same story over and over again, is where the customers are de- designing systems. And the consultant uh, goes in and says, uh, okay, I'm going to give you a solution. And the customer says, no, no, this is what I want. It's like a patient going into the doctor's and says, you know, I want you to... Uh, give me uh, this particular kind of heart surgery and the doctor says Ex- excuse me you need uh, you need a bypass you don't need an angioplasty. and the customer says, this is what I want and then when the patient dies they um, they don't complain anymore but it's uh,
0: <laughs> so death it's, is always an option
2: yes and we hear this over and over again where the customers don't really know any better and the, the developer the consultants are really at they they're at their mercy they're they're In such tenuous position, they want the work, and they say, okay, we'll do do it your way. You're a knucklehead, but we'll do it your way. And this is what we end up with.
0: I had a fascinating discussion today at lunch with a guy who's in my class. I'm teaching a VB Masterclass this week. And I have a guy who was interested in random access files in VBNet because they have a flat file system, and they support hundreds of users you know it 's all using random access mode, so he was he was curious as to why fixed length strings were weren 't supported Actually, they are supported and and this is a, a a weird marketing thing that Microsoft tells you no fixed length strings, but yet there 's a compatibility library which is part of the framework and isn 't going away that has this fixed length string uh, sort of a, a kludge for fixed length strings and so I found some code and I helped him figure it out but I asked him I said why you know why don't you uh check out SQL server or something you know more up with the times and a little more efficient and he said we did he said we converted all our stuff over to SQL server and we uh, ran this on a 1 gigahertz machine with a half a gig of ram and it was slower than our flat file system and I said well did you do indexing he said yeah So did you do this and did you do that? They use their database primarily for read-only access. They don't do a lot of updating. The updating they do is offline with another program. Uh, and I just thought that was fascinating.
2: Oh, I can believe it. SQL Server and its architectures are designed for scalability. It's designed to support one user through a thousand to ten thousand users with the architecture, with the same applications being able to support all those users. Their ISAM system, and I worked on ISAM systems in the mainframe business, and they're very, very fast. There's a, a lot of great uh, ISAM support uh, utilities to make ISAM management very easy.
0: Okay, what's ISAM, Bill?
2: That's the Index Sequential Access Method.
0: Which is basically your your flat file, B-tree kind that of stuff. That is flat
2: file, and what you get generated along your flat file is a set of indexes. And these indexes, in right. fact index-specific records.
0: Right, at byte um, positions. It's
2: very simple. This These programs ran in 32K on a mainframe, right. uh, 64K on a mainframe. So it, they did not take a lot of space, and they're brutally simple and very, very fast. They work very close to the hardware, and I can see how they be fast.
1: Right, but the guys are not really writing ad hoc queries against it, are they? I mean, they're, they, they know the structure of what they want.
2: Precisely. They, there's a lot of stuff built into the application, and they basically generate an nice ISAM key. This is the row I want. Uh, and they go, go out and pull it in. And it's uh, it's very, very fast. And JET, as a matter of fact, can be and has been demonstrated to be fast in the SQL server in some applications. It's not a, f- a factor of performance here. It's a pr- factor of safety and scalability and stability and the ability to back the database up. JET cannot be backed up until right. everybody is off of it.
0: Right. Because so the, the, file's the company locked.
2: scenario that, that, that I keep hearing about, and there's a company here in town, a large hospital here in town, that has a plethora—that's another technical term I'll explain to you—lots of databases that are spread out all over the all over the hospital, like a rash, every little department. And these these databases are not being done run by the IT department; they're being done uh, written by and managed by doctors, their assistants. The assistant to the assistant doctor, uh, to administrative people, to uh, everybody has got one of these little databases. And they are driving the IT people crazy because they're putting mission-critical stuff on these databases. And they aren't backed up. They cannot be restored. They cannot be repaired successfully. And they're losing data. They're losing important customer, client, patient information, business information. And it's costing them a boatload of money. Because they're based on Jet. Now if they're based on MSDE, the IT department can say, okay, interesting, you've got an MSDE database. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to change the path, one line change in your application. We're going to point to the central server version of your database. We're going to take that database over and we're going to back it up every night. Or they could back it up remotely without the customer even knowing it and restore it and do all the administrative work centrally. It's not that the administrative work is that much more difficult with, M- with the SQL Server. It can be all set up with wizards and so forth. It's very easy to do. It's just not being done at all with JET because it's really, really tough to do. Hmm. JET also fills up. When you delete a row in JET, it doesn't go away. It's just marked for deletion, and your, your database continues to row. When you update a row in JET, the row is not changed in place. It's deleted, and a new row is inserted. So the database continues to grow. This is not unusual for the architecture. That, you know that We see that all the time. Um, however, you have to periodically scrape all that old stuff off or you'll exceed the capacity of the file after a while.
1: Right in there, a utility or something you have to run to compress it. Precisely.
2: And this utility has to have an exclusive use of the file. It makes a copy of the file. It simply goes through and reads all the rows and writes them to the new file and deletes the old file.
0: So in other words, you have to have downtime.
2: Precisely. And with SQL Server MSDE class databases, this is built into the architecture, something you don't need the downtime for because customers simply can't afford to bring it down for 12 hours, 4 hours, 2 hours, or 20 minutes to back it up. MSDE is SQL Server. It is SQL Server. The same binaries, the same utilities work against it. It's just the distributable version of SQL Server.
1: Right, so it's crazy to be using Jet today if you could use MSDE.
2: It, it's Looney Tunes now. MSDE is not a, is not uh, a universal panacea. It has a number of issues. One of its issues at Microsoft, in my opinion, is politics. Microsoft has to get behind it. Microsoft has to be have a champion, somebody who says, "My, this is my product, and by God, you're not going to make any changes to it without me knowing." And I've been in touch with the users, and we just went to an author summit, and I brought this issue up. About bought it up until they started throwing things at me. Um, but since the author summit, and that was like a month ago, I've had so many product managers get a hold of me, Says this is what we're doing. We are excited about MSDE. We agree it needs to be fixed. These are the things we're doing. We now have a how to use MSDE legally in clear English terms that's just been put up on the web. And it's, it's great. They've, they've gotten behind it. I've heard of a new product, uh, um, or two at Microsoft that I can't talk about that are in fact using MSDE as their target engine.
0: Hey, this is Carl. I was just looking at the web statistics for last week's show with Mark Anders and we had over 1,500 downloads. And the number of downloads every week has been steadily increasing. But last week's show, the download count was fifteen over 1,500. But Still, I would like to ask you a personal favor, and that is to help us spread the word about .NET and to spread the word about this show, about .NET Rocks. If you belong to a .NET user group or your company has a newsletter, um, maybe we could put a a banner on your website or something like that. Send a link to your VB Programmer buddies. Just spread the word for us. Uh, We sure would appreciate it. We're going to scale this show up as far as it will go. And uh, I'm very excited about it. It's a great new project for me and, uh, and Mark as well. And it certainly is a good service to the .NET community. So we got some great guests coming up on .NET Rocks. Next week, Rockford Lotka is going to be our guest. And he's going to be talking about remoting and business objects and all sorts of great stuff. And we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to hear you uh, your questions. So send those questions for Rockford Lotka to dot net rocks at franklin's.net. I don't care how stupid you think they are send them in anyway and we'll let we'll let Rocky be the judge of that in the upcoming months we're going to have such people as Scott Stansfield, uh, Alan Cooper around the first of the year he is the father of Visual Basic the guy who developed the interface for VB10 and custom controls and all that stuff, he's a great guy he'll be with us um, just an incredible number of experts, and authors, all here to answer your questions and explain things to you in everyday English. Coming up, Bill Vaughn talks more about MSDE and JET, and uh, explains a few things about the Data Adapter and ADO.net. So keep listening. You won't regret it. So let me ask you this. The listeners out there saying, okay, Bill, you've convinced me I'm going to check out MSDE. Does it come with Visual Studio Net? Do I have to download it? Do... Do I write, can I just write databases in SQL Server and then distribute MSDE? How, you know, how do I use it? What's the practicality okay. of it?
2: MSDE comes with the um, the bigger versions of, of, of Visual Studio, not the basic version, not the $99 version. Okay. But it comes with all the bigger versions. It comes with SQL Server, it, all, all, all editions. It comes with uh, Office. It comes with Access. Okay. Okay. Um, so you're going to you may already have it.
1: Okay. Could I go online and download it if I didn't have any of those products?
2: It turns out you can, but then there's this legal issue. The legal issue Microsoft wants you to do is own one of the development tools. you need to own uh, office developer or access developer or Visual Studio or Visual Basic Six or um, one of the development tools in order to be able to use it that's okay. what that's where they want to get their dime
0: okay. And and so I would download this thing. What is it, about 4 megabytes or something? It's not very big. Not very big. Yeah. All right, so I download this thing. Do I just use that as a distributable, or do I have to develop against it also?
2: Um, I would not recommend developing against it. I would recommend to any developer to get MSDN Universal where it just comes, and you get all the tools. So you use the real tool. And you'd also but, have
0: SQL with MSDN. Right. Universal.
2: Um, but if you want to target this single-user, few-user database, uh, or something to replace JET, you get this MSDE universal with the tools. Okay. So you develop, just like you would any other SQL Server database, including the stored procedures and all the, the replication and all that stuff, Got it's it. the same. And you develop with SQL Server. You When you're ready to target, you build up a package, and it has a package and deployment wizard that helps you put together the the automated assembly that in fact will help you install msde
0: now what has a package deployment wizard sql does visual studio visual studio net does right okay so in in lieu of that you could always just go into sql server and say create my scripts right
2: you sure could and if you if you just have msde and don't care about the license you can in fact do all this stuff through scripts because it comes with osql that's the batch the command line batch utility and you can run scripts to create databases if you want to, if you're in that kind of abuse. It turns out that I just got up on the news groups, and there is a, a list of third-party uh, administrative tools, uh, a whole series of them here. Uh, some are available through all oh, – wells two of the three are from Microsoft.com. And it looks like um, the uh, – what's this new web utility, this, this new web interface? That they're creating websites with, um,
1: Oh, the Web Matrix? The Web
2: Matrix. That's it, the Web Matrix. Apparently, it also knows how to create MSDE databases and, and be able to do some administrative tasks.
0: Huh.
2: But the best tool by far is the, uh, the SQL Enterprise Manager. Right. And without the tools, see SQL Server has so many very cool tools to use. Right. The profiler to see exactly what's getting executed. And the enterprise manager that lets you do everything—the create permissions, create databases, create stored procedures, set up, and, and drill into the the bowels of the the server itself and see and make all the setting changes and so forth and tune it up for yourself—and um, those things are, without those, you yeah, you can whittle, but it's like whittling with a the the edge of a sharp stick. So it's.
1: <laughs> So, uh, Bill, let me, uh, ask you a couple of questions. You know, Carl, I always get excited during our chats. So I'm getting excited now. <laughs> uh, as a consultant that works with a lot of small companies, uh, let me give you a scenario and tell me if I could really do this. Uh, say I do have a mom and pop shop that, that can't really afford to buy SQL Server. Is it possible that I can use MSDE to write a solution for them because I know that the, the governor limits are not going to be a problem for them. Is that doable?
2: That's the whole idea. And it's it's not for the mom and pop to develop that system, but it's for the consultant to be able to go and say, listen, I've got a solution that's not going to cost you more than Jet.
0: Well, let me ask you then. Does MSDE work
1: as a service, as a server?
2: It is It is SQL Server.
1: So it's running MS SQL Service, uh, you know, that... that uh, let me ask you another thing, Bill. I mean, I'm, I'm really getting torqued up about this. Is the agent service out there, too? Am I able to create jobs, operators, uh, like I'm able to do in, uh, in SQL Server?
2: If the agent is installed, yes, you can. Does the MSDE uh, distributable come with the agent? And I don't think it does.
1: Well, I, I definitely need to, to look into MSDE, and I, I certainly have not looked at it before now.
2: But the, what you can also do is you can fake some of the agent work yourself using SQL DMO. Again, programmatically.
0: Oh, acronym please.
2: Oh, uh, SQL DMO is the, uh, the data manipulation objects that are shipped with SQL Server. It's a DLL designed specifically to do administration work with SQL Server.
1: Is it, uh, ActiveX com-based? It's com-based. Alright, so just a big object model that I can write VB code against, if right. I want.
2: Now I've got some examples of SQL DMO in the magazine articles that I've written. There, the examples are on my website.
1: And your, what is your URL, by the way?
2: Uh, www.betav.com. That's B E T A V.com.
1: Very good. Uh, one other thing, Bill. Uh, what about data transformation services? I'm quite fond of that in SQL Server. Uh, does MSDE ship with, uh, any support for that?
2: No. Wait, wait, wait. You said there's two, there's two things you said. It does not ship with DTS, but it you can use DTS against it. In other words, there's another DLL involved with DTS.
0: All right. Now, what I'd like you to do is explain what DTS is, because I swear to God, 9 out of 10 database programmers don't even understand this.
1: Preach on, Brother Carl. That's the absolute truth, and it's a great thing. Um,
2: data Transformation Services, DTS, this is the engine that Microsoft created some years ago because it got so many customers that wanted to move data from Oracle or to Oracle, from or to AS400, from or to Jet, from or to text files, ISAM files, uh, peanut butter sandwiches. It's designed to access any kind of data structure, flat, hierarchical, ISAM, anything, and transform it into SQL Server Tables and back
0: again. Sort of like XSL for SQL.
1: Something like that. <laughs> it's like the babble fish. Yes. I had to bring that up since you read a book called *The Hitchhiker's Guide yes. to SQL Server*.
0: Here come the analogies now. <laughs> um, so, so DTS Data Transformation Services is just a way to get my data from this database to that database. You know, but this was before Web Services was the integration platform. Right. Uh, so, for example, I could have my program accessing MSDE here on my local app on my local computer and then every night at three o'clock in the morning I could have that ship off my changes up to a SQL Server over the internet that was in some other location.
2: Absolutely right, right, but you wouldn't use DTS for that. Okay. You'd use replication services.
0: Replication services.
2: MSDE and SQL Server because of the same binaries, because it's really the same are designed to communicate with each other. And with, there are some licensing restrictions that says the only, these are the only kinds of replication you can do. But there's a full featured replication scenario that lets you upload and download. For example, the insurance salesman goes into the field, makes changes to the local version of his MSDE database, hmm. makes all those changes, works all day, goes to the home at that night, plugs in, connects, and then pushes a button and a very simple programmatic, uh, Connection can, in fact, perform the replication with the main database. Sync them up. Move the database, the new stuff up, and pull the, new, the stuff back down from the server without him doing anything.
0: Can I ask you this? Can we set up a SQL server in Chicago and a SQL server in Los Angeles and a SQL server in Boston and sync them all up so that when a record gets added to Boston, it'll automatically and instantaneously get replicated to the other two?
2: That's the whole idea behind replication. That's what it's designed for.
1: Does it support all uh, the models of replication? I think you've got merge, snapshot, transactions.
2: Transaction is, is uh, remember, it's the same binaries, but I think there's licensing restrictions that prohibit it from you doing certain types of replication. SQL uh, server is. And I'm not a replication expert here. I just know that it, there are excellent scenarios at work.
0: And SQL Server obviously doesn't have those issues.
2: No, it does not have those issues. It, it supports six different kinds of replication, of which I am not familiar.
0: That's fantastic.
2: I'll, give, I'll let Kimberly trip or... Or Stacey Birch answer the questions when it comes to those. Those are the, my administration experts.
0: So why did you leave Microsoft?
2: Um, I'd been with Microsoft 14 years. And before I came to Microsoft, I had been in the industry for 20-some-odd 20, years, 22 years. And it's I um, really had enough of politics. I, was, uh, I wanted to do a lot more writing. I wanted to do a lot more speaking without having to look over my shoulder and uh, without having to worry about whether I was making somebody mad. And I was making people mad all the time. Yeah. Um, it's just my nature, I guess. Um,
1: well, you speak truth. Yeah, that will do it every time.
2: Well, Microsoft is not a shallow company in that sense, but um, I just felt uncomfortable sometimes. Now, for example, I was speaking at a uh, user group for a small conference here in Redmond uh, when I was working for Microsoft some years ago, and I characterized Jet as a toy database even back then. The In a serious SQL service, a serious database, Jet is a toy. And they... Um, the product manager for the JET team happened to be standing in the back of the room. Oops. And after they revived him, <laughs> uh he he apparently called his manager's manager, who called my manager's manager's manager. And I got this. I was on the, the podium, and not 45 seconds later, I was paged. Um, and it was a text message that said, shut the – about JET. And expletive deleted. It was ugly. And it didn't wow. take that long for them to get back at me. And they have uh, – it's always been this kind of a push and shove with the Jet Group.
0: Oh and, well, I mean, you got to be real, you know.
2: Well, I think developers they just can they don't want the marketing hype so much as they want what works and what doesn't. And I'm I like to keep my my topics positive. This works, man. We got a lot of good stuff, and Visual Studio is really cool. It's
0: Visual hard to basic. be negative. Net about is that.
2: really cool. It's a lot of cool stuff. I don't like the name, but it is really cool. Yeah. And and calling it ADO Excuse me, calling it adio.net. Hmm. The only similarity between adio and adio.net is the font.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's I. People expect it though from Microsoft for marketing. You know, they want to. They, it, it's all about perception.
2: Uh, it is. It's all about perception and making making them feel good about their stuff and yeah, and make, keeping them from worrying. And and I understand that too. And, I'm, and I don't I, think
0: I don't think the smart developers out there really care.
2: But remember that Visual Basic is not. Um, the the Visual Basic developer community is not all the same. Right. That you, you uh, the C++ developer, you can you can characterize a C++ developer. You can just picture that yeah. person in your mind, That's and true. you're 90% correct. Yeah. A C-sharp developer, you can characterize that person. You know what they look like. You know, and or right. a Java developer, you kind of know like what they look like.
0: Well, a hardcore but, VB developer, you can sort of characterize. Right.
2: And the hardcore developer, but what the heck is you know they, they kind of lump all the people it. together.
0: I got it. You can tell them by uh, how often they shampoo their hair. Right. I think <laughs> that's basically it. The C++ guys never shampoo because they're so busy writing code all the time, they never have time to shower. Precise. The C Sharp guys are a little bit – they have a little bit cleaner hair because they shower every other day or something like that because they still spend a little bit of time matching case and uh, case sensitivity and
1: putting in all those semicolons. That
2: turns them on. The, you know, that matching oh, I they know. love. <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> so the VB developers are doing commercials for shampoo on TV. Is that what you're telling me?
2: Well, I'm saying that the VB developers are, are come from all walks of life, and
1: I'm gonna get it.
2: It's the, I'm uh, dead now. It's the Office developer. They see, since this thing called VB was is an Office sort of this thing called VB was in Active Server Pages, the old kind. That was a kind of a VB. It was China. more like an M Basic 80, yeah. but it's uh, those were those are basic programmers too, and they kind of lumped all those together, and they, they're. They're kind of putting them all in one bucket.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, now, administrators uh, are basic programmers, I I see a lot of them doing scripting.
2: Right. Wait, and wait till you get uh, UConn when the okay everything is going
0: to be. I'm in, glad in you v. brought this up because I you know recently discovered that we're going to be able to write uh, stored procedures in code in right. VB.NET. Right. Correct. And I'm wondering, as a or data sharp, okay, as in, in any net language.
1: Just Cobol, why not? Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so what I'm wondering is, and somebody brought this up with me today, and I hadn't thought of it before. Then, um, what, what we don't want to just take all this extensive business logic and now move it down into the data tier, do we?
2: No, no. If it's not broken, don't fix it.
0: Right. So let's not let's not imply that that's what we're going to do, and that's what you should do because you can. If you're a database administrator. You don't want any of that logic, you know, taking up CPU cycles. Am I right?
2: All things in moderation. Okay. Be kind of Buddhist about this. There are certain business rules that make a lot of sense to be in the server. Of course. There are some business rules that really need to be enforced in the UI. Right. So we don't make two more round trips to the server to try to get a single page transmitted.
0: Right. We don't want to be doing type or, or, uh, you know, validation on... Area code formats and stuff right. in the database, right.
2: but it would be handy if the UI morphed itself somehow yeah. to match the business rules. Um, so we're not having to redeploy or really waste the user's time. And so some of the stuff does belong in the middle tier and in the in the form of stored procedures, which I think is just another form of middle tier code.
0: I really like the Sunblad brothers' book. That came out on Windows DNA a couple of years ago. Wasn't that spectacular? It was so good. um, They just nailed it. And uh, especially right in the beginning when it says, you know, when you're deciding where to put business rules, start with the database. Does it belong in the database? Because if you can do it there and get away with it and, and it will support the rest of the architecture, do it. But there's a lot of things that you don't want in there, and here's why. And they gave some examples where a constraint that they had put in the database, sometimes needed to be broken. So, what do you do? Right. Do you remove the constraint and then do what you need to do, put it back? Or that do you move it out to the business tier? So, it really right. got people thinking about where do these things belong. Right. That was an awesome book.
2: They're very insightful about the kinds of approaches that they're taking to data and uh, and real architectures and real world architectures. Yeah, you know, read, I've read originally everything they've done as hey, we've well, tried
1: to. Well, that's why they're regional directors, right? Yeah, that's it. Right. Hey, Carl, we've got Dale Radke on the line from Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, Hi, Dale. a blast from the past, Bill. Dale, worked with you at one time?
3: Yes, I think so. Yeah, we worked at uh, Microsoft uh, in, the in um, internal development for a while there together. Yes.
0: Internal development, what's that?
3: I was um, writing internal applications for uh, use within Microsoft, uh, oh, Cool. HR department, finance.
0: So, uh, you got a question?
3: Yes, um, I have uh, been doing ASP uh, uh, development with SQL Server using ADL for quite a while and uh, try to close out uh, any kind of record sets or other objects that I open um, right after I use them. And uh, I've inherited some code from another programmer, and uh, this person hasn't been quite so religious about it. Uh, there's a, a lot of code and I was wondering, uh, as far as uh, hit performance-wise, uh, if I don't go in and close out all of those uh, open record sets, uh, and they will close as soon as the page uh, finishes. Uh, but how much of a, a hit does that really uh, involve performance-wise for an application?
2: one of the big issues that you're going to be facing with, uh, you're, you're faced with, is uh, connection, uh, orphaning connections. Um, and in ASP old style, the ASP classic, this was taken care of because when you fell off the page, one of the last things that uh, VB did was run the finalize for you mm-hmm. and tore down those objects for you. So it... It shouldn't be the end of the world. Now, newer versions of ADO, if you're using 2.6, 2.7, you should be fine as far as memory leakages are concerned. So I don't see a real issue there. However, when you convert, uh, you're going to be pooched. That's a technical convert. term. We can talk about the acronym later.
0: Convert to what, Bill?
2: When you convert to ASP.NET. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a- ASP.NET. Uh, yeah. um, because the way the garbage collector works is entirely radically different. Okay. And you cannot cannot depend on the garbage collector to do any work for you. You can't depend on the closed collections or release objects or any of that stuff. Huh? So about you have to be more religious about how the objects are declared, when they're declared, and how they're torn down. That's D-
0: should point. you uh uh call the dispose method any on any object that has one?
2: Um, you can if it makes you feel better. Um, if you have to call dispose there's something wrong, except in the case of, I hear the oracle provider apparently has some sort of an of a uh an issue. The new one. In fact, if you don't call disposed, uh, it will leak the connection.
1: The new one in one point.
2: Right. The new Microsoft version of the Oracle provider.
1: Yeah, that's definitely good to know. Yeah.
2: So as a discipline, yes, it's a good idea. And when, if you run that code through a converter, now I don't think there's an ASP to ASP.NET migration utility. I think it only works in VB6 unless I'm radically mistaken. Um and if any application on the face of the earth is a candidate for conversion, it's an ASP program. Yeah. Uh First, the, the, it is so radically better. ASP .NET is so much radically better than ASP uh, that it makes abundant sense in virtually all cases to move it across.
0: Yeah. Mark Anders was just talking to us last week about that. It's just a no-brainer.
2: It is. It, yeah. And uh, it may be painful at first, but it is so much more disciplined. It's such a. It's a serious language now, for for once. Uh, the object construction, the object teardown, the way you can reference, the way the sessions are managed, and, 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 uh, it's and. It's a deadly serious environment. And if you want to become make your you know your applications competitive, you've got to go ASP.NET. And
1: uh, even though we mentioned in the beginning that you could rename the file extension, I, I would want to bring up that that's not something I'd recommend to someone to do. Uh, I think you'd still benefit more from just simply rewriting it from the ground up. Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Can you rename the file extensions and get away with it? Yeah, we it? I just figured
1: it's... that out. In, in some cases, if it if it's a simple page, that works.
2: Yeah, okay. Even with... The... I'm not an ASP expert either, and I think that sounds scary to me, but... Well,
1: uh... oh, that's scary, but uh, I was shocked when I, I tried it.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So include files work, Mark?
1: I didn't try anything with an include file. I mean, when I was... Uh, you know, getting ready to go teach the ASP.net class I taught this week, I I just started writing some simple pages, and I thought, you know, I want to see what, what it takes to gum up the works. And I kept adding things, and uh, it, it didn't gum it up uh, until I started to mess around with the record set, and that did it. Yeah. But I I didn't try and include file. I can imagine that that could cause problems. But we'll just reiterate that this isn't a best practice.
2: And I'm seeing some issues, some disconnects with ADO Classic running in an ASP or a Windows Form environment.
0: Mm.
2: Um, Most of it works, but there's a couple of issues with late-bound methods that that don't. They work the first time, but they don't work the second time. So the first time you execute the code, it works. The second time you get to that line of code, it, it doesn't.
1: Boy, I hate problems like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, Bill, what do you think of, uh, of data adapters and data sets in general? You think people be writing their own data adapters if they want to do serious work?
3: Write their own data adapters. I don't think too many people will really get into that. Um, uh, it's so easy just to use, uh, what's there. Regular, well, yeah. Uh, you know, well, um, I've had programming practices.
0: I've had experiences where if you uh, make changes in a one order, and then you reject changes, you'll have an out of sync database. Whereas if you do them in another order, it, everything will work just fine, because you don't really have control over the order in which those updates are done.
2: Uh, you do.
0: Well, you do to some extent, but you have to go into uh, a certain collection and start mucking around with stuff.
2: There are properties that you can set to say what orders you do them in anyway, but it's um, the issue is how much should ADO be doing for you, how much should ADO.net be doing for you. Right. And I think what they have the, the tact that they've taken is not much. Um, yeah. the one of the things that I heard at the Author Summit over and over again was the command builder which is a part of the Dide drop drag and drop, and it's the also the executable command builder. Right. Uh, should be renamed command don't use builder.
0: Yeah, that's what, that, just for the listeners, that's what takes a select command, uh, select something from a table where this, that, and the other thing, and then generates insert and update and delete commands that match it. And, uh, one issue is just as far as dealing with concurrency, what they do is they take all the original values and compare them in the where clause. So if any of those values have changed, and the WHERE clause is like a mile long because they're checking for nulls and this and that for a simple table, so you know that can really slow things down. What what I tell people is the alternative would be them to put a timestamp field in your database for you, and I think people would be a little more upset with that. So the reason why I said would people be using developing their own data adapters is maybe you know rewriting those queries and those stored procedures to use a better method to deal with concurrency.
2: I, I wouldn't go to do that. You wouldn't? No. But I've been to some meetings that you haven't been to.
0: Okay. All right, um, you, you have inside information we don't know about.
2: Um, I can't comment there. Okay. But it's...
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> don't kill do it. We us. won't tell you why.
2: Uh, you know, and I think you're absolutely right. The data adapter uh, command builder sucks, but they tried to get the thing out the door.
0: Yeah. And, and they
2: had a they had a pretty big target to a pretty big uh, yeah. uh, shoot to fit in ADO's uh, command builder su- internals uh, because it was pretty smart to give you lots of options the option explicit property for example if you could set any sixteen different four different ways to, to do this but it's uh one of some of the other issues in a serious database is that you often don't have permission to update those columns. You may see them, but you don't have permission to update them. So Just uh, because you can select them doesn't mean you can update them.
0: Right. right so you're
2: going to have to be more selective. Question, how are you going to figure out which are which? If you selected them, how is the command builder ever going to know which ones are to be updated and which ones are not? So well, maybe it, they're going to need additional properties to say, this is when you create the parameter for this. It says this is a Gazenta read-only.
0: It, it's smart enough to know that if I have a formula field, you know, that's like those a first are, name plus last name. Easy to figure. Yeah, it, it knows it knows enough not to update that. Right, right.
2: But it's it's more complex than that. And it you have often have databases where you have lots of columns that you don't have any rights to. Okay. You, and yeah,
0: and and it wouldn't know that.
2: It wouldn't know that. Yeah. But so there's there's going to have to be additional uh, column properties on the either extended properties or some sort of a mechanism or extended properties like a timestamp the the, the timestamp is another issue um that lets you know that you can in fact update this column or not on a column by column
0: oh i get it, it how just, about the uh get schema table in the data reader that's pretty cool huh yeah i like that i i had to dig for that though that wasn't very easy to find i would never have you guessed that it'd be book. okay i wouldn't have never have guessed it'd be in the data <laughs> reader though
1: All right and which which book would that be bill is that the uh one from a press that you did recently
0: yeah the idiot and ADO.net examples and best
2: practices.
1: Very good. Well, I'm going to.
2: <laughs> okay. Oh, There's also a C sharp version if it'll make you happier. To, uh, no, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Peter Blackburn and I uh, put together a C sharp version of that.
0: Good.
1: Uh, well, uh, Dale is still on the line here with us. Uh, do you have any other questions for uh, Bill, Dale?
3: Um, just a general one. Um, what, it, since ADO is so easy to use, are, are there any circumstances where you would uh, still use uh, anything else other
2: than um, ADO? ADO is, is ideal for SQL Server. It's, it's it's written hand in glove. It's fine for Oracle. It's, it's fine for that. Um, it's okay for Jet, but there's, there's still things that ADO uh, Classic and ADO.NET do not do to Jet but as we spent the last hour talking about it, i don't ever want anybody to write to jet again uh, i think jet is 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 needs to be on its way out so right. you know so there yes there are things and ado also is not suitable for bulk operations it's not designed to to move a database from here to there and so many people try to do that with it it's the wrong tool for that job uh, so if you're doing uh, you know, moving fifty thousand rows from the from the main database, to the server, the mainframe database, every night, ADO is not the not the best choice there.
1: Hmm. So, would you use DTS to do that, Bill?
2: Yes, DTS or the BCP, the Bulk Copy program, which is also an API-based or SQL DMO-based uh, interface to do uh, those kinds of bulk operations. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, don't count on your internal clock to remind you that there's a new episode of .NET Rocks available. Sign up for the .NET newsletter, Franklin's Net. Not only will we tell you when the new episode is on and who's on it, but we'll also give you monthly tips, tricks, and real code that you can use. Uh, Links to great resources, the news of the month, and a lot of stuff you won't get anywhere else. So go to www.Franklins.net. And on the left-hand side, you'll see the newsletter link. Just click on that. You'll be glad you did. I promise. Also at www.franklins.net, don't forget to check out the how-to videos and the .NET Code and Utilities section. And uh, that section basically has lots of little samples and uh, really useful utilities that I've created and Mark has created and other people here at Franklin'sNet have created. And those are free with source code. Just go ahead and download to your heart's content. Thanks for your continued support. And if you happen to be at VS Connections in Orlando at the end of the month, make sure you stop by in the exhibit hall the Franklin's Net booth because we're going to be recording .NET Rocks from the booth and taking your questions and talking to a lot of the, uh, the speakers that are going to be down there. So so now let's get back to .NET Rocks with Bill Vaughn. So, Bill, uh, you're going to... now. I- People have heard me talk about the connection show, but uh, really a lot of people don't know about it. So you're going to be doing the SQL Connection show in Orlando, aren't, aren't you? That's correct. So what do you think of this, the whole VS Live versus Connections thing?
2: Um, at, at one time, um, I thought that they had an awful lot of similar content, but I've talked to a couple of the other presenters, and they say, no, I'm radically wrong, as usual. Um, there's a lot of SQL Content, a lot of SQL content in the, uh, in the, uh, the show here this, in the, in the, the Connections show this fall in Orlando, uh, goes far and above what they had at VS Live. Uh, less so much VB and more SQL Server by a lot.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree with you. It's a great show. Uh, what do you think of some of the guys they have speaking?
2: I think they've got a dynamite crew. Um, uh, frankly, I go to these shows as much to learn as I do to speak. Uh, and I learned from the other presenters, but I also learned from the real the, the troops that come in from the field, all sweaty and battle hardened. And they said they'll get up, you know, ask me a question afterwards that that says, you know, he either doesn't understand what I've just told him, or he's coming from an entirely different point of view. I need to explain it different, or no, Bill, it doesn't work that way. You know, I've tried this, and this works much better. Right. Or, I, I tried that, but you know, this works four times faster.
0: Yeah, it's or, just I, such I, a. Concentrated way to learn being in a is. place like that. It is.
1: Well, there's going to be some serious sequel brains down there at uh, at VS Connections. What do you think of Fernando Guerrero?
2: Oh, he's spectacular. He has he has come up so many times after my talks and and spent you know thirty forty five minutes with me going over the presentation and helping me tune or helping me understand uh, what it is that I've just said and. It, so he understands it better, and I understand it better. So he's a great asset. I really enjoy working with him.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed his book a lot too, and i I have him, uh, I have him also speaking at the VB track on stuff Probably. like concurrency, things that VB developers really don't know that much about.
1: Yeah, I actually got to meet Fernando out at Microsoft. I um, taught the uh, the first beta class for uh, the ADO .NET curriculum, and he was one of the students that came into that class. So that was very cool. Hmm.
2: Well, I've seen the new version of that ADO.NET curriculum. I just reviewed that the other day and it, there's an, there's an interesting set of of criteria. They're they're trying to come up with the, how to manage collisions. Right. Oh,
1: you you looked at the the new 2-day course that right. that's about concurrency management
2: and I had a, a knockdown drag out with them. I said, "Okay, you're a traffic engineer in New York City and you're study you're you're, you're teaching your your policemen and your fire people how to clean up after the accident right and you're spending millions of dollars doing it why don't you figure out how to make the intersections so they're less vulnerable to collisions
0: preventive measures
2: preventive measures in other words design the database from the beginning so you don't get collisions and so if you do get a collision it's so rare it's obvious what you have to do if you set up if you set up scenarios and if you have to think about it to figure out how would you set up a scenario where it's absolutely essential that these two people have the same record at the same time they're holding it in their hands and they're both making changes to it, and it, there's fewer and fewer real database situations that are like that. And you can make a couple of minor changes to the way you design the system, and sometimes major changes.
1: Right, kind of going back to Carl's suggestion about doing time stamping and uh, right
2: and it, right. and concurrency management from the design point of view, as opposed to the, okay, let's clean up the mess now that we've done it.
1: Bill, do you, do you
0: teach a class or two from your, with your company?
2: I'm, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm semi-retired, so I don't take on a lot of extra work. The conferences keep me pretty busy, and I'm doing news, user groups. Um, I'm going to Boeing next month, and, uh, I'm doing a couple things for the RD program here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I have been invited to do, a couple of uh, custom courses now and again, and uh, I'm open to that, but... Uh,
0: I think it'd be a gas to have you uh, teach a an ADM Net class for Franklin's Net.
2: Well, something, uh, stranger things have happened.
0: Well, cool. We'll talk about that later. I've been experimenting with the remote class idea, and uh, one idea that I've had, uh, this all started because we have some customers in India that, uh, want me to teach classes. And, and so I've been doing some work with, uh, you know, using remote access with, uh, like distance learning. Uh, distance learning.
2: Okay. I'm, I'm reprogramming. I understand now.
0: Yeah. Distance learning. But we're going to do it as such that they're going to set up a training room in the remote place. And I'm going to remote into the computer there, which is going to be displayed, et cetera. But the, the idea that I had was to get some of, some of the heavy hitters out there. Uh, that would like to teach just a piece of this class, like a one week or a two week class, where we put an application together, and then the person with the expertise in that particular area of the application teaches that portion, so you would teach the uh you know the the a d o portion of it well, somebody that's not else very somebody else you know the like Alan Cooper might do the user interface or right. you know i 'm just having fantasies here, but uh <laughs> have you talked to your wife about that i have and unfortunately she can 't do anything about it so <laughs> she doesn't even understand it, what ADO is and uh and the other part uh well you know she just had a baby so that's uh, but you know we we're, we're going to edit that out don't uh, don't worry about that <laughs> uh so you're in Redmond Washington yep what's uh what's the economy like out there
2: The economy is turning around. I'm seeing – my daughter just got a job. She quit me. She was my editor for my last couple of books, and she just quit and went to work for the Hargett Group here in town, which is putting on people. Microsoft is putting on 5,000 people, Hmm. Um, and they're standing in line out front. is wrecking traffic, people just milling around outside of the building. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: And if it wasn't for the dock workers being on strike out here, I think uh, things would be going better.
0: Yeah, that's that's an ugly situation.
2: Yes, very ugly, and I think – J.W. made it uh, even uglier. You think so? Yeah.
0: I haven't really listened. I heard that uh, he's trying to revoke a, a Taft Act or something well, like that did, to get him back to Well, he revoked the
2: Taft-Hartley Act, yeah. and um, he should have done that weeks ago, uh, and he should have been you know, anywhere. Um, we won't go there. All right. So it's, it's, an,
0: it's a mess, to say the least. It's a
2: mess, and mm-hmm. Boeing is, is cutting back quite a bit, and they're cutting back some of their development staff uh, as well, uh, which is helping the traffic. So hmm. there's a good, there's a bright side here, everything. the traffic out here is pretty bad.
1: Yeah, weren't they going to move their corporate headquarters to Chicago? They
2: did move their corporate headquarters to Chicago and they moved a bunch of executives out there. And, uh, the, uh, they got forgiveness for a bunch of new taxes and so forth. So they're, they're happy there because the people in, uh, in the Seattle area kept taxing them the debt. So.
0: so Bill, what are you excited about in the future of .NET that you actually can talk about?
2: Um I think Microsoft is 150% behind .NET. I don't think there's any question about that. And I think they're excited about it. And they're – in the VB time frame. A VB was a, gee, I wonder if we could kind of a thing. And they kind of put it together and, oh, oh, my gosh, this works. This is cool. And it works. But it, they didn't think about it in a very long term. Yeah. It's, I think COM is done the same way. Yeah. Um. And they didn't take COM to the fourth step. They maybe take it to the second step, but they didn't realize it was going to grow that quickly and be used in so many strange ways. So architecturally, it was very weak. And so when they switched to a new paradigm that was not based on COM and to a new VB that was not based on VB, uh, and again, the only similarity is the font, is the they were unfettered and now they are free to develop serious languages, serious interfaces, serious uh tools, uh, and serious connections to the SQL Server and their other database engines, um that they haven't they haven't been able to do this before because they're all held back by diff int A through Z yep. and the old style stuff that they had to carry around in V B and the old com stuff that kept holding them back and killing customers and making the customers crazy and hate them.
0: So they made so, every change they ever wanted to make is what they the made
2: all the changes. They just bit the bullet and says, oh my God, okay, fine, screw com, forget VB, uh, we're going to move on and we've got a serious language that's going to be kind of like VB, but not, we have a new, you know, we have some new languages for the Java people. We have, since we can't play Java, the Java games with Sun, we're going to create our own Java or do something like that. And they've got the, you know.
1: Without creating
2: a one-size-fits-all thing, they've got something that's flexible enough that really can address a, a wide variety of, of architectures.
0: So you and think there's good, really good things coming down in terms of fine-tuning the the ADO.NET uh, architecture and the and all that, or or is it pretty much as fine-tuned as it's going to be?
2: I think that uh, we're going to see a number of significant changes in how ADO.NET works. It's going to be better. Uh, in the sense that remember that ADO in the olden days had a number of black boxes in it yeah uh, the data environment designer t- awful total disaster Ugly. Uh, data binding uh, a
0: total yep. disaster terrible
2: and these kinds of things are not present in the new product and they haven't made those mistakes and they the conversations that they're having and for the first time in in decades since I, I've ever worked for Microsoft they are listening to developers, they're listening to pundits, they're listening to architectures outside, architects outside the company and designing the product, uh, so it does in fact meet these real world needs. Uh, when you were in the, the VB1, VB2, VB3 time frame, those, the, what the product looked like was so carefully guarded that four people on the planet could see it before it shipped. Right. And they couldn't take advantage of the oh my gosh, if we just done that, right. and they kept inventing things that were stuck in the product forever.
1: Yeah. Data
2: binding was that way because they weren't open for input when the data binding was designed.
1: Uh, Bill, you just brought up data binding. Uh, certainly that's something that most VB programmers have been taught is, is evil in a major way. Uh, we can do data binding in .NET. Uh, is it evil still, or is it a good thing now? No,
2: I, I think data binding has is reincarnated and has really come to... Uh, come back to life. There's, it's so much more flexible. And the kinds of things, the, the control you have over it, there's no more black boxes. And it's, it's far more intuitive. And considering that the Windows Forms is the unsold citizen, the, the unknown citizen here, it's the, uh, and it can play a big role there too. Uh, so yes, data binding is back alive again. I think we've got, got a, a good paradigm there to work with.
1: Well, that's terrific. And it's good to hear it from, uh, from a guy like you. We know, you know what you're talking about.
0: Well, Bill, you got any final thoughts before we sign off?
2: Well, I think uh, the we're, we're in for some exciting times. and I think developers are – there's a lot of uh, concern out there that, that the, the world is crashing and around and everything is changing. But I've been in the industry for about 30 years, and if there's anything that, that stays the same, it's change. Uh, we're constantly having to relearn stuff. And those people who are just get over it and say, okay, we're going to learn some new stuff and keep learning uh, are going to survive. Those that are going to stick with the old stuff, they're going to have jobs. Yeah. Uh, writing VB6 programs, writing whatever, for three or four more years. Do you recommend
0: and, trying to uh, go it alone without a, some formal training?
2: You know, it can really save you a lot of time. It depends on what your time is worth. If you can't afford the training, do it alone. And, and, and do go it alone. And just keep, keep, keep pounding on it. So much of the stuff is free, you can try it yourself. But right. if you can afford training at all, get to it. Get some training. Get some serious training. and Go to the conferences; they're not that expensive, right. and go to every single session. If you even if you don't understand a word this man's saying, it's going someplace in RAM, and it's, it's going to yeah. connect. And we start running your applications. Oh my God, that was on page four, yeah. wasn't it?
0: All right, very good, Bill. Well, thank you very much from uh, on behalf of myself and Mark and all the listeners out there who really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and explain some things for us. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Bill. That's right, and. You know, Carl, we need to get Bill back again another time soon. There's so many things I would have loved to have talked to him about, but we we just ran out of time. Yep, that's true. Well, I had a good time. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Thank you very much again. So long, guys. All right. Good night. Good night, Bill.
1: Good night. Good night.